The following is a Cast Wave Studios production. The Internet. The Final Frontier. This panel was recorded live on location at BorrowCon 2017 at St. John's University in Queens, New York. Enjoy. Hello, hello, all you out there in internet land. Welcome to Boldly Going Nowhere. It's a podcast. You listen to it with your ears. Mm-hmm. And today, we're live at BorrowCon 2017. New York City, baby. In New York City, that is correct. And I'm joined with Brian Massey and Jordan Hazelwood. Why, hello. Tonight's subject is one I hold very near and dear to my heart. I, do, I truly do. Mm-hmm. So, very recently, Kevin Feige, or Kevin Feig. Kevin Feige? Feige. Uh, it's, it's Feige. Uh, Feig is the guy who directed Ghostbusters. Right. D- so, don't make that mistake. No, 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 no. <laughs> so Kevin Feige recently said in an interview that he's optimistic to still get the X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay. which I personally am 100% in favor of. But when I heard that news, it kind of put me into one of those deep thoughts. You know what I mean? By Jack Handy? No. Deep thoughts. But I, the reason why is because I sat down and thought about it, and I looked at like all the X-Men films that have come out thus far, you know? Mm-hmm. The Brian Singer films, the First Class films, and right. I was just like, honestly, bringing the, M- the X-Men into the, MCU, uh, into the MCU is totally possible, but I don't think you can start them in a film. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. The X-Men has so much going on in it with its characters, its team dynamic... You know, it, there's just too much to fit into an hour and a half movie. I completely agree. And you really can't go more with a Marvel movie. You really can't go two and a half plus. People won't. I think that's mm-hmm. too long for most of that fan base. I mean, it, it depends. Myself on, included. It depends on the pacing. I feel like, and it depends on just how much story there actually is to be told. Okay. Mm-hmm. But but I feel. But again, I feel like when it comes to X Men films, mm-hmm. they always try to cram too much into a single film. And thus, important... While primarily just focusing on Wolverine all the time. Well, and actually, that was the next point I was going to get to. It's like the first three X-Men films weren't really... As, there's never been a correct X-Men film made. The first three films were Wolverine films. Mm-hmm. Which was followed by a Wolverine film. Which, is then followed which was by... then followed by a Xavier Magneto film. Which was followed by a Wolverine film. <laughs> which was then followed by another Wolverine, Wolverine film. film. Arguably the best Wolverine film, but still. Uh, no, no, not mean, Logan. You We're mean talking the Wolverine. No, I was, I, I was talking about Logan. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's three, that's three movies after that. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, I mean, lost, really, I what we're saying. Uh, there's two. <laughs> the problem, yeah, the you problem get point, with, though, right? The problem with Fox is that they're banking on Wolverine as their. They believe Wolverine is the only bankable superhero right. out of that team, which is not necessarily true. It's just they've never taken the risk to make it work. Because they're always only focusing on Wolverine, and they're always trying to rehash Phoenix, and they always fuck it up. Mm-hmm. It is, it's the, the most annoying thing about the X-Men films is just, oh, Jean Grey, she's manifesting the Phoenix. It's part of her power. It was in her all along. No. 
No, 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 no. The Phoenix is an alien entity that it... <laughs> mm-hmm. I... This is what now, always bothers me. Now you would that argue. stuffed her into a capsule and put her at the bottom of the ocean and masqueraded as her for years. Exactly. Now, you would argue that Fox having, you know, like Hugh Jackman retiring would have put that company in panic mode had it not been for the success of Deadpool, yep. I, I feel. Um, so now you have New Mutants coming out. You have Deadpool 2 coming out. You have X-Men Phoenix coming fucking no. out. Yeah, the, 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 so that's what they're calling the one that's set in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Because that, that, that seems to be the new modus operandi, that there's, there's, a, that there's a movie that takes place in every decade since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so long story short... Not a terrible idea, but executed poorly. Uh, uh, that's pretty much the modus operandi. And, and, for... and no one's aging. Like, yeah. you know, uh, right, I know, right? Like, uh, not everybody's just sitting there like, what's up, bitches? Havoc was like 18 in 1964, and then he's like 21 in 1982. Yeah. It's the sliding timescale is weird here, man. Pretty irritating. <laughs> Which timeline, McAvoy or Stewart? These timelines are so confusing. But... The question was raised, could the X-Men be brought into the MCU? And I spent the last week and a half formulating a path that the X-Men, A, could be introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm. and B, you could, start from the, you could start from the original team. You could literally start from issue one. Yeah, pretty And much. it could work. And it could work. Mm-hmm. So, how would I put... The Mar- How would I put the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Let's begin. Let us begin. First, it would be a Netflix series. Mm-hmm. As I said before, you can't, yeah, you can't condense X-Men down to a single film to introduce that. that you, you lose too much. You lose the building of the team dynamic, which is integral to the X-Men. Mm-hmm. It just is. Uh, one caveat, I wonder if Netflix would, would be able to, would they, would they have the budget to pull off the special effects needed for everyone's, uh, everyone's kooky powers? I don't see why not, if you're sticking with mm-hmm. only, well, because in, fir- in, the, in the first season, we're sticking with the original five X-Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Angel, Iceman, and Beast. Mm-hmm. And we're talking pre-secondary mutation Beast, so... Mm-hmm. Beast in human form. Yes. Okay. Okay, but it's, it's still Cyclops' blasts and Iceman's ice stuff, and uh, I feel and, like, and, and I suppose Warren's wingspan. I think those could easily be those could easily mm-hmm. be accommodated for. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, having uh, having had no shame in watching uh, three seasons of Agents of Shield, um, ABC did a pretty good job at uh, special effects for the Inhumans, mm-hmm. which were the mutants before we before they have mutants. Essentially, yeah. So my mm, Terrigan missed. Uh, so my theory is to do a twelve. To every every one of the Marvel series thus far has been twelve episodes. Mm-hmm. So ours will be twelve episodes, and it will start from the formation of the team with the arrival of Jean Grey to to the final episode, which I'll get to. So the first episode starts with Jean Grey arriving at the Xavier Institute of Higher Learning. That's what I'm calling it. Mm, so not gifted youngsters? No. Aw. The, the, <laughs> idea, the idea is, is that in this continuity, they are passing to be an educa- a, a, learning, a private institution for higher education. 
Mm-hmm. Well, they, they've always done that. It's exactly, just... but I'm, I'm just saying that is so we can set them in college, basically making it a private university okay, instead of just a private school. So, Jean Grey arrives and is introduced to the X-Men and is introduced around and is advised that her reason for being brought there is because they are aware of her mutation and they would like to have her join the school not only to, you know, learn the ways of how to control her and focus her powers, but also to receive combat training because she, Xavier wants his team to become the vanguard for mutant kind to show that not only are mutants not dangerous, but necessary mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to show that humans and mutants can coexist. So we then move to the danger room. You see all their powers, you know. Oh, forgive me, Colin. You said before it was important that this is set shortly after Iron Man 1? Yes. And I'm going to get to that reasoning why in a moment. Okay. So this will be set in 2008, I believe, is when yes. mm-hmm. I, the original Iron Man was set? Yes. Okay. So this will be set in the timeline between the end of the events of Iron Man and before the end of the events in Incredible Hulk. The first season is going to be set this way. Mm-hmm. So... The first episode, they are going through the motions, showing her the danger room, showing their powers, you know, to show how they, you know, attempt to work as a cohesive unit. Then Jean joins them for a session, and she uses her telekinesis to sort of disable wall robots and all that. You know, the danger room... See, originally the danger room was just a series of wires and levers and robot arms that would just reach out and smash you. Yeah, it wasn't quite the hollow deck yet in the 60s. Right. But honestly, I feel like that is a much better indicator of what they should be using instead of, like, the holographic shit. Mm-hmm. I never really got that. Oh, I did, but, I mean, it was just it seemed unnecessary. Science! To me, at least. Maybe I'm wrong. But. So, uh, they then get the alert. Magneto is invading an army base and making demands. Now, again, Magneto... Which I believe in the comic was Cape Carnival... Because they, they were too afraid to say it was Cape Canaveral. Canaveral. Right. So, it's, it's very similar to the original X-Men issue one. They, Magneto you know, says he's got munitions and weapons that he can lob pretty much anywhere due to his magnetic powers. Metal Gear. Metal Gear. But he's only revealing this information to the people on base, and the government's trying to keep everything hush-hush. So... But, of course, Xavier is a liaison. We'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they go to the base. Jean stays behind because, really, it's her first day. They're not going to send her into an active situation without having any form of training. How nice Even, of them. Yeah. Well, Xavier, Xavier expressly forbids it. Mm-hmm. So then they leave, and they go. And, of course, because, you know, it's only the four of them, they get their shit wrecked. Mm-hmm. Finally, Gene just decides to say, screw it, suits up, rides off on a motorcycle. Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. God, that, that, sadly, there, there was a scene in X-Men Apocalypse that reminded so many people of that scene from Batman and Robin. No. Ugh. That they were Ooh. on a military base, and they just happened to have flight suits fitted for petite females. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah right. Anyway, so the idea is, is that they are going to... So, Jean rides off to the base. 
Magneto is basically assimilating every piece of metal he can get together and starts putting together like a few hundred. So what happens is Magneto's accruing all this metal, and finally the the army who told the X Men that they would wait thirty minutes for them to handle the situation starts lobbing mortars mm-hmm. into the base mm-hmm. to basically just knock fire both sides. all your metal weaponry, men. Of course, yeah, exactly. And so it's like you know they don't listen because you know they're humans, they're stupid. Magneto. They're, they're, they're the legitimate authority in a superhero uh, uh, story, so they're worthless. Yep. So Magneto <laughs> catches all the mortars and is turning them back around to throw back at them, and he starts monologuing because, of course, he's fucking Magneto. Mm-hmm. And then, as he's getting ready to throw them, the motorcycle that Jean's riding hits him in the face. You sly dog! You caught me monologuing. <laughs> So then, obviously, Magneto loses his concentration, the mortars drop on him, and boom. Explosion. Gene floats down and asks if they have room for one more, and then you hear, you hear metal start to move again, so they know he's still alive. So, you know, they enter the fight pose, end of episode one. So, Jordan, mm-hmm. so far, what do you think? Well, um... Yeah, you're you're uh, you're hewing pretty close to the to the original stories. Trying to, I mean, I got to set it for modern day because mm-hmm. obviously we can't have them start in the '60s and then progress on and on and on, mm-hmm. only to you know have them you know again never undying. Mm-hmm. I, I remember um, it, it, it's, it's something of a common misconception that uh, that the that, Magne- that Magneto rocked out with his brotherhood, you know, first appearance. But nope. no, it was he. That was a few he, appearances he, in. Uh, it was actually it was well it was the second appearance of Magneto, which was I think the fourth issue. I think somewhere around there. But uh, but yeah, Magneto just just thought he could cowboy up um, at first, but and uh, but uh, also also it's interesting to note that Magneto was indeed the the villain in the very first issue of X Men. It's mm-hmm. the probably the only example of uh, of the of the villain who's generally considered to be the arch villain of the hero showing up first. Mm-hmm. Like the first Fantastic Four comic was Mole Man. Mole Man. Mm-hmm. I moon. Sorry. Um, no one's gay for Mole Man. <laughs> okay, so second episode opens where the first one left off. Magneto comes out of the hole created by the mortars, protected in his, protected by the metal of the motorcycle that just hit him in the face. And he starts lobbing girders at them. You know, they're deflecting him, moving left and right, dodging, you know, using their abilities to sort of cut down the collateral, uh, the collateral damage. And then, similar to the second issue, or I'm sorry, actually, probably still in the first issue of the book, they, um, they're able to deflect him to a point, so Magneto runs away, sends a, a, fire, uh, a fuel truck that's on fire in their direction. Uh, Iceman <laughs> throws up an ice wall, Cyclops blasts down, Truck hits wall, explosion. Magneto thinks he's killed them, but and, then they and, pop and, up underneath. And on the sidelines, Ant Man said, "Damn it! I thought that was a water truck." <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I thought it was a water truck. Sorry. So then we. So then Magneto starts putting together metal, makes a rudimentary shield, flies away, excoriating the X-Men, telling them that they will regret the day that they ever fought him. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So then. They go back. Now, here's where the first deviation from the original source material is. So they leave the army base and go back to the armed forces and tell them, hey, 
The threat's gone. You guys can reoccupy your base now. We're happy to help. And the general wants them arrested. Because not only Magneto, but they also fucked up a lot of U.S. government property. And you know that mm-hmm. there's, no ins- there's no little C on the insurance form. There's no little checkbox saying mutant attack, right? Mm-hmm. Now, again, at this point, the word mutant hasn't been uttered yet. We're mm-hmm. just people with abilities. And again, Iron Man's around, so people are kind of used to the possibility of these sort of things happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure the Incredible Hulk movie strongly suggested that the Hulk predated Iron Man. That, that technically, the, the Incredible Hulk was preceded by the Ang Lee Hulk, sort of. You know, yeah, the, something like that. Insofar as that it ended with him in South America. And, right. And there, there, was no, there was no origin story of the, of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, it was just mm-hmm. assumed that the Ang Lee Hulk was the Hulk. In the Incredible Hulk. So, fine. Uh, so, Jean decides that she's, she's had enough of this and is not going to be arrested. So, she uses her telepathy to lift up the soldiers, puts them back on the other side of the fence, throws their weapons away, and they leave. They get back to the Xavier mansion, and Xavier is pissed. And he's pissed for two reasons. One, he's pissed that Magneto got away, and he's pissed off that Jean disobeyed him and went out anyway. Mm-hmm. So Jean says, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe she's not meant to be part of this team. Scott sticks up for her and says that if she leaves, he's leaving. Which everybody, anybody who ever read the old X-Men comics knows that if Scott Summers says he's leaving, well, A, it's a redundant point because he'll leave but then come back. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's... Mm -hmm. I I, I can think of at least three comic uh, covers of him him with a gunny sack over his shoulder just... This issue, Cyclops leaves. (laughs) Next issue, he returns. But it, it's, it, it's, it's 60s-era Cyclops saying that he's willing to abandon the team mm-hmm. makes a very large impact, not only on the team, but on Xavier himself. Because remember, Scott is his most loyal student. I mean, until later, but we're not even going to get into that. <laughs> um, so Xavier realizes that you know, he's being unreasonable, and Scott explains that if Gene hadn't left to help them, they'd more than likely be dead, which is true. So he welcomes Gene to the team. Gene accepts. Everybody's happy. End of the episode. And here's where we have our first after credit sequence. Okay. So we have... What's his name? We have Xavier, Xavier in his study watching the events of the end of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark revealing he's Iron Man. And then he you know, flips over... He starts playing back the recording of, you know, uh, Magneto at the base, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, who comes around the corner? Nick Fury. <laughs> Nick Fury asks him if the helmet and cape is a fashion statement. Xavier tells him that even though it looks kind of goofy, there is, there is function to the form. So Fury asks him if he'd be interested in the proposition. Xavier stops him right there. He's like, the Avengers Initiative? Not interested. I've already seen that movie. <laughs> and like Fury, done that. Yeah, it's like, and Fury's like, you didn't even know what I was going to ask you. He's like, oh, I know. Remember. Because obviously Fury knows what Xavier can do. That's why he's there. Mm-hmm. It's like, but let me offer you an alternative. The X-Men step forward in uniform. He's like, I call them the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And so the next episode, right, so episode three starts off with Fury accepting Xavier's deal. And so the X-Men are officially a arm of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
who strictly handle mutant situations. Because mm-hmm. the idea is, is that obviously with Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk being such hot button issues at that point in the MCU, having knowing the fact knowing that there are beings exist with those kind of powers who weren't, you know, like genetic manipulations or anything like that, mm-hmm. that would cause like a worldwide calamity. Mm-hmm. So Fury decides as head of Shield to have them handle anything, you know, to act outside of the chain of command to take down any mm-hmm. huge issues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, I have to say I, I like this um, development for uh, for two main reasons. One, in the in the original X Men comics, it was eventually revealed that um, that Xavier had a, a liaison from the FBI yep. whose name was, I believe, Fred. I want to say Hanson, something like that, or Larson. Uh, I'm pretty sure Oliver Platt played him in the first class movie. Generic name, mm-hmm. FBI agent, generic name. But mm-hmm. so, so so Xavier did have some oversight uh, from the government for what he was doing. And but 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 you're right. It may as well be Shield uh, because I'm pretty sure that 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 uh, Fred came into the scene before Shield was even invented, and that, that was that was in the late '60s. That was obviously obviously once there were a handful of James Bond movies out there mm-hmm. to provide a basis. Exactly. Uh, so um, so, that, so that's pretty nice. And also, and secondly, uh, since this is something of a prequel, this this allows uh, um, um, <clears throat> pardon me, um, this allows. Uh, cooperation with the pre-Hydralicious uh, shield yep. of as much as I like uh, Winter Soldier, I was kind of amazed that, that Winter Soldier sort of kind of you know wiped its ass with the concept of shield mm-hmm. right right as the Agents of Shield show was starting. Mm-hmm. Right, so, like that that had to have been a little difficult in the writers' room at times. Mm-hmm. Yep. So episode three, they are officially made a- uh, agents of Shield mm-hmm. or an arm of Shield, as I'll say it from now on. Also, this does open up. To possible, you know, like cameo from Coulson, maybe, but like Coulson could be their liaison, or they could just have generic Shield agent. Mm-hmm. So we then move to, so they're given a day off because obviously, you know, they just tangled with Magneto. They need a day off, a little R and R. So they go into town and they're filming a reality television series, and they're offering anybody who could take down their their main star. If you can take down the blob, we'll give you $1,000. Right? Beware of the blob, he creeps and sweeps. I don't remember how the rest of that song goes. That's all right. No worries. So, obviously, in this one, we're updating it because in the original ser- in the original X-Men, Blob was a carnival sideshow. Mm-hmm. So, this time, we're updating it again for modern times. So, again, he's just a you know, sideshow novelty, you know, freak of the mm-hmm. week type thing. Behold, the only fat person that's the, that exists in this comic book universe. Five cents. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we have Blob, and you know, everybody tries taking him down, but nobody succeeds. And finally, Beast thinks he can get the best of him. Beast tries and actually does better than most, but still fails. So Scott and the others realize that Blob might be a mutant. And so Scott decides to go talk to him, and I believe that follows the trend from the original issue as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, they, they, they tried to, um, they basically just tried to recruit him. They, yeah, they basically try to recruit him, and actually at the beginning they ask, can we start recruiting new agents? Fury says, okay, but you have to be absolutely sure that they're going to be with you on this. Otherwise, you know, we can't risk this information getting out in the open. So obviously they try to recruit Blob. And Blob seems genuinely interested at first. 
I also should say that him and Scott fight for a moment. Like Scott, you know, attempts to, you know, he tells him he knows who he he knows what he is, and Blob attacks him, and Scott shoots him in the face with his laser with his uh, his ocular blasts mm-hmm. or optic blasts or whatever it's called. Optic blast. Optic blast. Source and stripes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, Unibeam. All right, fine. No, it's, um, it's okay. We love us some uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. I look forward to seeing the Blob um, at, least, at least come up with a different, um, uh, a different origin for his nickname uh, other than mishearing Wolverine when he calls him Bub. That was honestly kind of sad. There, yeah. were, there were a lot of sad moments in that movie, but for some reason that one sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. That's pretty bad. So then we move on to Blob goes back to the X-Mansion and he then meets up with the rest of the team and he sees that Hank is one of them. Recognizing Hank from earlier, he's like, yeah, he doesn't want teammates like that. And calls, you know, basically insults Hank for being a shrimp and all that. Hank takes offense to this, as does Bobby, because Bobby and Hank are friends, you know. Friends stick up for each other and all that. Mm -hmm. And so, and then Blob just basically says, hey, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm not interested in this anymore. So Xavier tries to have them stop him, and obviously doesn't work. So he gets away, and he goes back and starts threatening his director, and then takes them hostage, and then they have to react to this situation now, because obviously they're the only ones who know what he is, what he can do. So they go in, and then Xavier comes to the, the scene, and then Blob's like, hey, I want that guy, I'll give you a prisoner in exchange. Because he wants to embarrass him in front of, you know, the world. You know, point out that he's a mutant and, you know, they're both mutants and this is what they can do. And Blob's the mightiest of them all because he's got a huge inferiority complex. So, uh, at first the cops don't let him do it, but then obviously Xavier finagles their minds. And he's like, okay, you guys can do it. So they come in and then... Xavier's there, and they come into the room, and they're like, why is Xavier here? Like, we we left him back at the X-Mansion, or blah, blah, blah. I, but uh, then they decide to... Blob decides, Blob decides that he's going to, again, reveal to the world that him, Xavier, the X-Men are all mutants. And Xavier says that he won't, he can't allow that to happen because the world's not ready for that kind of information. Blob tells him, like, what are you going to do about it? So he mind wipes him, the directors, everybody there. <laughs> and then he rolls to the window, mind wipes everybody in the street. And just <laughs> implants them with the memory that there's a gas leak in the building. And then they leave, and they basically pull everybody out of the building. <laughs> so I mean... I, I think at this point, uh, Xavier has is, is, is mind wiped more people than the men in black did in three movies. Sometimes it's what's necessary... I mean, he did that a lot. <laughs> In the original comics, he mind wiped people left and right. And not always, not always politely mind wiped them either. <sighs> we'll get to that later. So, so Blob goes back to his life as a sideshow. Uh, and then, the, you know, the X-Men you know, realize that maybe they shouldn't be too quick to welcome people into their ranks. Episode ends... Post-credit sequence, though, Blob's in another city about to do another one of his shows. And then his, his manager's berating him because he's not drawing in people like he used to. And then out of nowhere, the hotel they're staying in, the room's, like, it's like a cheap motel, so the room rips out. It's Magneto. He's got someone with him. It's 
mastermind, Jason Wingard. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he mind wipes the man. I'm sorry, the producer, and then Blob's like, "What do you want?" He's like, "Magneto's like, I just want you to take your place at the top of the mountain." And then Mastermind removes the block that Xavier put on his memories and and uh, brings them back. So Blob's like super pissed at this point. So he decides to join Magneto's Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. But again, we haven't seen them in action yet. So, uh, so your Mastermind is also a telepath. He was like well, Master, an, Mastermind it, was a telepath. I remember it was being more like an illusion caster. He was, but he had the he had the ability to manipulate memories. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I guess that uh, I guess that was part and parcel with the Dark Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why it's so easy for him to be able to do that. And funny that you mentioned that. But again, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Uh, so episode, what are we on now? Four. Uh, four. Yeah, the 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 pilot was two parter. Okay, so let's see. Yeah, that's right. Pilot was a two parter. Then next one was Blob. So next one. Think is a yes. So the next one is technically a three-parter. Ooh. It's a three-parter because this next episode basically delves into Scott's backstory a little bit. Uh, Scott wakes up having a reoccurring nightmare of him and his brother being pushed out of a plane. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's read the X-Men continuity knows what that's all about. Mm-hmm. So then we then Scott wakes up drenched in sweat, can't sleep. Goes downstairs, Warren and Jean are talking to themselves. No big deal. Uh, and then, you know, Scott walks in and Jean knows that he's upset, but he tries to ascertain why, but he's not opening up. So she asks the professor, you know, what's with Scott? You know, why is he, you know, why is he like he is? And, you know, the professor explains that, you know, he, he lost his family at a very early age, and so he's very personal about that. So then later, Jean comes to him and she's like, she wants to read his mind. She wants to read his mind to help him, you know, parse this out. You know, hinting at a more intimate relationship between the two, which will burgeon later. Mm-hmm. So Scott lets her do it, and he he was able to recur the full memory, which is the plane that they, him and his family was flying on caught on fire, and if memory serves correctly, it was caught on fire. His mother put the parachute around him and Alex pushed them out and the uh, the parachute got set on fire, snapped, and as they were falling, Scott hit a tree and mm-hmm. which caused an injury to him. Mm-hmm. And that that, um, that 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 they say prevented him from turning off his mutant power when yes. it manifested later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which they found later was a mental was just a mental block. Uh, or they claim or White Queen claimed it was just a mental block that he had. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, that sounds like something she would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she's like that. So then we, so then, you know, Scott thinks about it and then goes to the professor and says, hey, what do you know about my brother? Like, where is he? Because obviously he keeps tabs on everybody. So we then cut to Bobby and Hank and Warren, you know, they're in town, and out of nowhere, they see this group of people picking on this kid, right? Mm-hmm. And you see tiny little spurs in his arms, or bone spurs or something like that. I haven't really worked out what the mutation would be, but they're all harassing you know, a teenage mutant. So obviously, 
even though they look like normal people, they they you know like berate the crowd and tell them that you know they're wrong for doing such a thing. Kid gets away, and you know they're they're telling Hank, you know, it's like why'd you let him get away? He's a worthless mutant. And Hank gets upset and tries to you know is like ready to take a swing at them, but decides not to. Like Bobby and Warren pull him away at the last possible second. He walks off grumbling, ends up at a bar later on, and the guys from that group earlier find him, try to goad him into fighting them, which he's like, I'm not interested, y'all, honestly, I did not worth my time. So he leaves, immediately attacked as soon as he leaves the bar. Gets pulled into an alley and gets beat on by these guys. Finally, one of them tells him if he was a true friend of humanity, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't have tried to stop them earlier. <clears throat> Friends of humanity, cough, cough. Because, you know, got to introduce the human antagonists. Yeah, uh, as, um, as, uh, uh, um, as organizations of ignorant human rabble who oppose everything mutant, I, I've always preferred the Friends of Humanity over the Purifiers. That's, yeah, that's why just, I went with them. They're just a little too culty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, these guys are just, you know, assholes. Mm. Speciest assholes. And then, of course, there's the Church of Humanity. Which is <sighs> even more culty than the yeah, purifiers. I was say, yeah. And wow, did Chuck Austin drive that idea into the ground, which mm-hmm. I might talk about in a future comic shop. But nice. That's not here nor there. No, that's no worries. All right, so then Angel and Bobby followed him. So they decide they have suited up, and Warren picks a few of them up, drops them in a dumpster. Bobby basically just turns himself into ice in front of them and asks if anyone wants. It's like if anyone wants to join him. They run away. They get picked up and tossed into the same dumpster, and Iceman freezes him in there. And then uh, Hank catches the last one, the one who was telling him, you know, if he was a true friend of humanity, he would have let them. And he's just like, you know what? It's like, there's like, people are always going to be. Uh, what's this panel called? Huh? What's this panel called? Uh, it's Bully Going Nowhere. Our subject matter is if uh, how to bring the X Men into the MCU. Anyway, so yeah, so Hank catches the leader and says, if, if it wasn't for people like you, we'd all be living in harmony. You know, like, I'm going to show you what it's like, you know, to be human. He tosses him in the air, and Warren catches him and drops him in the same dumpster. Or, and then, then Iceman freezes it. Sorry, I was jumped the gun on that. Mm. And so that ends that, and they all come back, and, you know, obviously Hank's a little beat up, so Xavier wants to know what happened. And Xavier... Is told what happens, and he's he tells Hank he tells he tells Hank that you know he's proud of him because he didn't resort to violence. Hank was like, "Well, yeah, I didn't this time, but I mean, like, I was that close. If Bobby and Warren had been there to stop me, I would have like beat him up." And he's like, "Well, now you know that, and in the future you'll think back to that moment, and you know you'll know what to do." And we cut back to Scott like moping in his room, looking over information on his brother, and. We find out that his brother is attending school in Virginia, in college. Yay! Mm-hmm. So Gene shows up at his doorstep and and tells him, hey, Virginia's not that far away, right? Dangles a pair of keys, and Scott gets the idea, and they leave, and that's the end of that episode. Uh, the after credit sequence for this is we see Magneto watching some closed-circuit cameras, and we see that one of them is Alex Summers being dragged into a selding cell. So oh. he's, yeah, it's like, huh, oh, what a twist. 
And then that ends the episode. So next episode is episode five. Episode five. Mm-hmm. So episode five is... So I, I should specify. Another deviation with this is I've changed Havoc's backstory because mm-hmm. the living Pharaoh thing was so dumb. Oh, God, that. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what it was about 60s comics and uh, demonizing ancient Egypt. I don't know either. Very good point. It was weird. So I decided the easier way to do that would be mm-hmm. Magneto. And, 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 and actually, you know, when Apocalypse showed up in the 80s, he kind of completely uh, monopolized the whole ancient Egypt evil thing. Right. So it's just, it's just gauche if someone else does it now. Right, exactly. So this time I decided the easiest way to do it, Magneto is going to capture and brainwash Havoc into one of his minions. Because mm-hmm. he is aware Alex has mutant abilities. But he isn't sure, you know, he, he believes Alex is the key because, you know, he knows that Scott and Alex are brothers, so they must have similar powers. It's a, it's a safe assumption. Okay. So he captured... I, I, I'm sure Mr. Sinister clued him in at some point. Probably. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, so then we... Scott arrives with, you know, the X-Men in tow. Xavier's with them because Xavier wants to explain the reason why Scott's there. It's better to have an adult than just, you know, five random teenagers showing up on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they arrive, and they've been told that Alex has been kidnapped and that they were about to contact the police because they just found the ransom tape. Or, I'm sorry, the tape. Mm-hmm. This is the following morning. Okay. Like, after he's been captured. So they just they walk in, tape's there. They don't know where Alex is. They watch the tape. Magneto. Mm-hmm. So Magneto says he's, capturing, he's captured Alex and Alex's... Um, stepsister as collateral because obviously he doesn't want people getting any ideas to you know come rescue him oh. or else the human dies I'm, I'm trying I, I, was about, I was about to say I'm trying to remember if uh, Alex's stepsister is from the comics but, yeah uh, Haley she is but she's a very minute character okay like mentioned once or twice never mentioned again ah alright so but so what happens is so Alex is there, and Magneto's twisting and bending the table he's strapped to because, you know, it's made of metal, and fucking he can do it. So then they decide to look for him by using a... They decide to look for Alex by using a portable version of Cerebro that Xavier brought with him because, you know, he's rich. He can do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they decide... They find Alex, and he's nearby, but he's... he's they, they can tell... They can tell that, you know, there are other mutants there, so they know they're going into, you know, a heavily fortified area. So they go in, and Magneto decides to pit himself against the X-Men again. And this time he's holding his own with them, and they're, they're basically keeping each other at bay. So what Mastermind does is he brainwashes Alex into thinking he's escaped. <laughs> and then... Just like uh, just like um, Jason um, Stryker did in X-, in X2. Something like that. And then what will happen is he'll come around the corner, and then Cyclops comes around the corner, and his, and his, his uh, stepsister is standing between them, and then Cyclops kills her. Mm. Now, again, he doesn't know Cyclops is his brother. He just sees a mutant kill his sister. Mm. So, obviously, he loses it, and then the, like... Fury blasts him into oblivion, but obviously he's an illusion, so he just mm-hmm. just goes up. 
And it also occurs to me, uh, actually, in X2, that was a deleted scene. They they cut that because they thought it would be too confusing. Mm. So then Havoc, infuriated, blasts a hole, blasts himself out of it, and starts fighting the X-Men. And that's how we end the episode. I, and I, it's a little it's a little corny, but it was too good of a line not to pa- not to to pass up on. Mm-hmm. So Magneto is watching Cyclops and Havoc just you know blast at each other, just keeping each other at bay, and Magneto just quietly mumbles, "Cry Havoc and let slip the dogs of war." I just thought it was too good to pass on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like the fact that uh, that. Um... That unlike in X Men Evolution, Alex is not living in is not a surfer bra in uh, in Hawaii. No, that was uh, clearly clearly a voice actor just really wanted to try that accent, mm-hmm. and it, it, then that show was stuck with it for five seasons. Yep, <laughs> wasn't very good either. Mm-hmm. So we move to the next episode. They're fighting, and Magneto is attempting to take out the others as well. They're again they're still holding their own well enough because due to the. He's just repeating the same attack patterns. Throw metal, dodge, throw metal, dodge. You know, flatten metal, use metal. Yeah. And then Cyclops and Cyclops and Havoc are going at it. Finally, Xavier gets into Alex's mind and tells him to calm down that his sister is not dead, but Alex, you know, fires another blast towards Xavier. Scott dives in front of it and is blasted back at him. But again, their powers negate each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still hurt, though, obviously. So, um, like, his mask gets knocked off, and then his eyes are closed, though. So Alex recognizes that who he is and, like, like stops and, like, realizes what he's done. He's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's like, why did you, why did you kill my sister? And he's like, Xavier's like, he didn't kill your sister. Your sister's alive. She's down there. So he, sent, he sends Jean in. Jean goes in, and Mastermind screws with her head thinking she's, like, back in old times. But Gene, but Xavier is able to project into the illusion, and she realizes that it's all fake, and so she hits him over the head with something, and that, uh, that knocks out the illusion. That also sets up his mm-hmm. obsession with her as the Red Queen. Mm-hmm. So just in some of the, uh, some of the upcoming cutscenes, he's just going to be mumbling over and over, Red Queen, Red Queen. Mm-hmm. I just thought it worked. Mastermind's kind of a creep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's totally a creeper. Um, so, uh, they, beat, they beat Magneto again. Magneto flies off along with Mastermind. Alex decides, like, they offer Alex a spot on the X-Men. Alex decides he's not interested. He just wants to live a normal life for now. But it's nice to know that he has a place to go. He can go there. You know, and they're, they're asking him, well, what do you want us to do about... You know, your stepsister, do you want us to wipe her memory so she has no recollection of it? And she's like, no, man. My brother's a superhero. That's awesome. <laughs> He's like, I think I can keep it under wraps. Thanks. So they leave. Everybody's happy. And they go back. Uh, so that's the end of episode... Five? No. Six. Six. Okay. Yeah, six. It should be six. So then seven... Seven is they arrive back in New York... And there are two figures there claiming to be S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Xavier can't read their minds, so he, he knows it's a trap. They, their eyes glow red. They attack them, and they're able to hold them off and disable them. And then, out of nowhere, one of them pops up to attack Jean Grey, and Nick Fury blows its head off. 
And he tells them that those were what they call life model decoys. Mm -hmm. The only problem is is that the program the program was defective, so they were trying to get rid of them. But someone's been repurposing them for a single goal to hunt hum to hunt mutants. <laughs> so we find out later that it's so we find out they have they're able to access the information, but they can't trace it back to the original source. So they get somebody who's the foremost expert on robotics in the Marvel Universe. Can you guess who it is? Uh, Star Saxon? The Machine Smith? Nope. <laughs> Damn. You want to take another guess? It's Tony Stark, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we're, we're really shoring a lot of money into this episode. Well, I'm not really uh, certain what kind of tech this is, but... Uh... You can certainly take it to the lab and take a look over it for you. So they well, so they, they they tell me he needs to look at it there. So he looks at it there, and then Xavier hears in Tony's mind that Tony knows that they're mutants, and Tony is going to hold it over Fury. So, again, Xavier, knowing full well what would happen if their information got out, mind wipes Tony. Mm-hmm. It just tends to do that. When all you have is a mind wipe, everything looks like a nail. Yep. So... Uh, they then go to the factory, and it's, uh, it's Bolivar Trask repurposing the life model decoys into what he calls Sentinels. You'll, you'll forgive me. Uh, I've noticed that you haven't mentioned uh, who you like to cast in these uh, um, as these characters yet. Perhaps you're saving that towards the end. But, yeah. um I, I am honestly curious. Did, did you have anyone in mind to play Bolivar Trask? No. I, I only ask because this is this is a character who's appearance has changed so radically in like every appearance he's ever made mm -hmm. in his first appearance he looked like uh vincent price he had like he had right. dark, dark black hair and then and a, and a creepy mustache and then in the in like the uh the x-men cartoon he had he looked he looked like uh like a sandier brown haired reed richards mm -hmm. he had like the uh the the gray temples yeah and, and then even like a mustache that had like those gray on the sides mm -hmm. And then in and then in the X Men Evolution, I guess because they got Phil Lamar to play him, mm -hmm. they turned him to like a sort of a like like a half white, half black dude. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he was uh, he was uh, entirely African American. And at some point he became Peter Dinklage. Yep. With a, yeah. Peter Dinklage with a porn stash. Mm -hmm. Sweet porn stash. So there's there's there is there is so little. Um, consensus on what this guy looks like. Right. Exactly. Okay, then do we want to go around the room and maybe um, like just say our picks? For Bolivar? Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, screw it. Morgan Freeman. Hmm. I, I, admittedly, whenever I see him, I think of Lucius Fox. In, uh, True. In, in sort of I see, sort of I see Red from Shawshank Redemption. I'm... Uh, that's what I mean. I'm kind of leaning towards Ian McShane. I don't know. I'm looking for like a really cantankerous, crusty old guy as Bolivar Trask. I can see what that. A, what about Colin Firth? How much money do you think we have for this episode? I don't know. Then again, if it's we're getting Netflix, my friend. Then again, if we're getting RDJ, it's that, it's that Netflix money, son. Um, that Netflix dollar dollar. No, no, I, I never pictured Bolivar Trask as being that British. I mean, right. his first name is Bolivar. Like, is he named after Simone Bolivar? You know, the the famous uh, freedom fighter. I would say yes. America? I just don't know. No. I, <laughs> the Rock. No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> no. Um. I, we'll we'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I haven't really thought about Bolivar Trask. I only casted so many members of the show thus far. So Christopher Walken. 
No, we don't want this to be a farce. No. no. These Sentinels. The Sentinels. They're good. But they're not great. Yeah. So, uh, oh, <laughs> I also want to point out that at the end of that first episode with Bolivar, uh, they, uh, there's a cutscene in which he's showing, you know, the, the reproduc- the, how to reproduce these life model decoys. And he has a system, and yes, it's called Master Mold. It's a giant life model decoy that just sort of excretes them out of his stomach. No, 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 no. I just, I just, this is the template system to repurpose them. It's just called Master Mold. That's okay. all it is. I'm not making that thing because <laughs> that's, that's too silly. Uh, but he decides that he needs a partner to bring in to help him with, you know, getting, continuing to get robots. So he partners with Justin Hammer. Justin Hammer's here. Yep. The breeze. So Justin Hammer, and he shows him how he repurposes him, and Justin Hammer just starts giggling because you know Sam Sam Rockwell is just so ridiculous as that character. It, it would be it would be a joy to see him again, honestly. Yeah, it really would. Yep. So then the next episode, and I remember I showed this synopsis to Brian, and Brian was like, "That's dark." Ooh. So the first episode starts with. Bolivar Trask sitting in the kitchen. His wife is there as well. His son is sitting in the living room. His son, Larry Trask. Larry Trask, yes. Right. Clearly, clearly Bolivar uh, um, has sort of a chip on his shoulder about his weird-ass name. He's like, when I have a son, he's having the most boring name imaginable. Lawrence. <laughs> Call him Larry. Anyway, so then his wife says, you know, where's, where's our daughter? Blank name. Tanya, I think, is her, is her name. Mm-hmm. Some, something like that. He's like, oh, she's outside getting the mail. He's like, oh, I got the mail. I'll go get her. And the kid starts freaking out. Larry starts freaking out. He's like, mom, mom, don't go outside. Mom, don't go outside. And then his father walks in. He's like, what's wrong with you? He's like, don't let mom go outside. He walks to the front door. She opens the door and (laughs) explosion. Daughter's gone. Wife's dead. The father comes back in and starts asking the son how he knew that was going to happen. He's like, I don't know. And he starts shaking, and he's like, how did you know? How did you know? Because obviously, you know, two people who were very close to him in his life has just blown up, but yet the third was aware of it and told him that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I, I, I believe the philosophers call that the Cassandra complex. If, so, if, you, if you can see into the future, no one will believe you until it happens, and then they'll, they'll assume you're a conspirator. Yeah, exactly. So hmm. we then jump back to the future, and... Larry and he's uh, it's Bolivar's working in the factory, and the only other person there is son Larry. He's just helping, you know, fix the automated machines on the floor. So then we we see them shut down the factory, and we see them shut down Master Mold. It's fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's okay, so uh, then we, the X-Men decide to suit up, and they're going to come and destroy the factory. And they do. It's, it's fairly simple. They, they, they gear up. They fly to the factory. They decide to they get in there, and they, they set up a trip alarm. The Sentinels awake. They take them out one by one, and Trask sees his, his factory start to be blown up. Or, I'm sorry, you know, start to get the shit kicked out of it and decides to run in there. Larry warns him that, no, if he does that, he'll die. Obviously, Trask, not paying attention, runs in anyway. And one of the... What is it? 
one of the uh, so he walks in and then Larry walks in after him and then the sentinels scan Larry Larry obviously being a mutant mm-hmm. it starts to uh, like Cease move all mutant activity yeah exactly it starts to move towards him Bolivar strikes it it takes <coughs> that as a you know a uh, as a threat an aggressive action hits Bolivar knocks him into a piece of sharp machinery impales him on it and then one of the X-Men, probably Iceman or Warren or Cyclops, disables the the Sentinel trying to stop them. And Bolivar <coughs> is like, oh, I was so wrong. Mm, curse my hubris. Bleh. So, oh, I'm sorry. Before he does that, though, he tells Larry to take Master Mole out of the system and don't let it fall into the wrong hands. So Larry goes up, takes it, runs off. They blow up the factory. Larry swears, and Larry swears revenge from the bushes. Mm-hmm. Um, Shake harder, boy. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, I think the after credit sequence for that I wrote was that Larry attempts to see into the future and sees that Sentinels rule over both man and mutant. So then he then tries to ascertain where that split timeline comes from. Nobody's coming here. Sorry? Uh, well, there was supposed to be a panel, but it was in another building, and then they routed us up here, so we just decided to record our show like we were going to anyway, so. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, you're recording? Yeah. Hi, uh, hi, I'm Peter, uh, uh, I'm in the room, and, um, this podcast rocks. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No problem. So... Okay, I was I, yeah. So, he Larry attempts to see where the split in the timeline happens that causes this reality. He knows it's an assassination. He can't see who's going to be assassinated, nor can he see who's responsible for it. Which again leaves us open for mm-hmm. days of future past. Mm-hmm. In the future. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's episode eight. I uh, believe so. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, we're already coming up to about an hour, so I'm going to go ahead and just, just going to go ahead and preface the next couple episodes. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the lightning round. So, episodes nine and ten, we introduce the Juggernaut. Juggernaut basically. It's so hard for me to not say bitch. Yeah, I know, that, I know, I know. It's so. I, I trust right, me. I know. It's, it's so like, difficult not to say that, that as well. I know. I know. It's so basically we introduce wait the a Juggernaut. Minute, you walked out of the movie though. How do you know? I'm fucking with it. I watched it afterwards. <laughs> anyway, so um, Xavier sends them out to, you know, relax because, you know, a lot of stuff's been going down. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it, it occurs to me that if this was an anime, then they would have had, like, a, you know, a swimsuit uh, episode by this point, right? Yeah. Or a beach <laughs> episode. Maybe that was the swimsuit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they – he sends them out to relax, and Juggernaut shows up and starts wrecking the fucking Axe Mansion mm-hmm. because, you know – He's juggernaut, bitch. Just, he just that's mm-hmm. the only reason. Like, what other reason does he need? Right. So he so, smashes. So, so, so the the X Men uh, don't see this coming and have time to set up a bunch of Home Alone style contraptions involving like claymore mines and like blowguns, like they did in, in well, the comic. In the comic, yeah, they do that. But Xavier, Xavier already has these countermeasures in place because you know he he has to deal with Magneto, man. Mm. That's the way it is. Oh, you're you're fine. Don't worry. We we can we can edit it out. Okay. 
What's up? I was just wondering. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're back on. So Xavier already has the defenses mounted at the X Mansion to repel invaders. But again, he's obviously not expecting the Juggernaut to freaking show up. Mm-hmm. So Juggernaut rips through them all, punches through the mansion. Xavier's finally able to get down to the lower levels of the mansion to set out in the alarm to recall the X-Men back to the mansion. So they start fighting the Juggernaut, and we're, we're interspliced with bits of Xavier and Kane Marco's life. You know, obviously, Kane Marco's father marrying Xavier's mother for her money. Mm-hmm. Their, bitter, their bitter dislike of each other. There was, there was the suspicions that 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 uh, Mr. Marco actually killed his father. It was yeah, it, or I'm sorry, it was Kane had intimated that he could have saved Xavier's father, but chose not to. Uh huh. Which Charles heard, and then that just made things so much better. Yeah, because then you know, <laughs> Kane, again, Kane got beat on. And obviously harbors that resentment against Xavier for not stopping his his father or Xavier's stepfather at that point uh, from from preventing his beating by just you know saying something. So and then we cut forward to when they find the ruby of Sidorak. <laughs> and the, the first time they mentioned that name, I, um, I I'd like because we were, uh, you, you seem to, to really enjoy throwing in cameos that from already established uh, MCU movies, I like to imagine uh, Doctor Strange is like is preparing for surgery and just scratches his ears. <laughs> that actually, I might, that I might include that. That's actually pretty funny. Um, can we afford the Cumberbatch, though? I'm saying if, five, we, get, if we can if, afford... If we can afford if, Robert Downey Jr., if we can, I'd like to think five so. Seconds of, five seconds right, exactly, of right? <laughs> Because RDJ's in a previous episode. Okay, cool. But yeah, so just like, but I mean, I think that you know, I'm sorry to be interrupting. No, here, come on, take a seat. James. Um, hey, James. Yes, James. Yep. Colin. Colin. This is Jordan. Yeah, I met you earlier. Yes, this is How's Brian. Um, I think that we the people tend to forget that, or 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 or, or forget to remember that all things in Marvel are related, and that mm-hmm. they try they people try to reinvent the wheel. Instead of like actually looking back and saying it is related, like if you go back, you will find the story where they explained how this happened to this, how this person met this person. Like, um, exactly. for example, just a really quick example, like uh, Misty Knight was college roommates with Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of people don't even know that. Yes, they they did. They, I remember she was roommates with Colleen Wing for a yes, long time in the seventies. Yes, too, and, and and Misty Knight was uh, she was like huh. she was in that in that circle too. You know, but it's just that the fact that mm-hmm. they are relations and mm-hmm. that people do have relations and people right. forget to play off of that. And yeah, and that's the thing. It's, that's why we were like, if they introduce the X-Men into the MCU, you're going to have to have those cameos. You're going to have to have RDJ as Tony Stark. You're going to have to have Strange mm-hmm. at some point. Maybe not at that exact moment, but that is pretty funny. I kind of want that to happen now. Mm-hmm. But so, you're welcome. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we cut to the scene where they find the Ruby of Sidorak, the floor blakes, and... Kane falls in, oh, I'm sorry, Xavier catches him, but Kane shakes loose by trying to catch the Ruby of Sidorak and falls in, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, the, there's, uh, the Ruby of Sidorak essentially makes him immortal, he doesn't need to eat, he doesn't need to drink, so he essentially just lies in that pit until he's able to punch his way out, mm-hmm. but of course, now he harbors not only his previous resentment against Charles, but now he harbors the fact that mm-hmm. Charles let him die, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I'm assuming that, that they didn't find the ruby in the Korean War this time, right? No. Okay. No. No. Just, we'll call it some 
some expedition. You know, because that's what you do in your 20s. You go and explore. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Nathan so, Drake found it somewhere else. There you go, right? So then I, instead of making it just like, oh, you know, he just makes his own outfit, we'll, sit, we'll put in some backstory about how there's this special armor of Sidorak or an avatar of Sidorak created that if you put the ruby with it, it turns you into a human juggernaut. Okay, or you could make it like it's um, in, in him being in a pit. You know, could always. Oh, it finds, could be there. He finds the armor. There you go. Yeah. You know, and dons the armor, and then. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The only reason I decided to do it the other way was just because, if if he was able to find that armor and get his way out of that cave, then why didn't he go to get Charles immediately? Okay. We had to draw. We have to draw it out a little bit. So say, oh, that that part of the cave had been explored already, and that had already been taken out. But they couldn't find it. Was a, maybe the ruby was in another antechamber that they didn't find before. Hey. Pyramids are confusing. Temples are confusing. Mm-hmm. So we cut back, and the X, and so the next, the next that would see into the next episode, which is basically the X Men fighting Juggernaut in the Danger Room, basically. Mm-hmm. So obviously they keep changing the scenarios on Juggernaut, so he can't focus on any one X Men. They all have worked together at multiple times at this point, so they know how to take an enemy on, especially you know do the divide and conquer. So, essentially, they get to... It's, it's similar to what happened in the original story. It's They're able to knock his helmet loose, Angel gets it off of him, and the ruby goes with it. So, he essentially goes back to being just Kane Marco. And so, they, they, uh, they knock him out. They have S.H.I.E.L.D. come in and take... They have S.H.I.E.L.D. come in, take the armor, take the ruby away, and put Kane Marco in a supermax prison or something. Mm-hmm. So, as they're taking all this stuff away... Whoever their shield liaison is, whether it be Coulson or someone else, gives them a disc. They pull it up. It's Magneto, and Magneto has taken over the island of San Marco, Santa Marco. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he takes over the island of Santa Marco, saying that if if anybody tries to fight him on this, he's going to screw with the magnetic mm-hmm. poles of the planet and kill everyone. Mm-hmm. So obviously the X-Men are like, well... Uh, if the army shows up, that's the case, but what about us? We're small. We can get on the island pretty much undetected. So they decide to go out, and so that's the, that's, that's the final two-parter, which is episodes 11 and 12. Okay. I really hope this story about Magneto uh, screwing with the Earth's magnetic poles uh, ends up better than Ultimatum. It's a, it's a ploy. So it, okay. it's actually not, yeah, it's not even happening. Okay, good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he, he brings them to San Mar- Santa Marco, and he immediately sets the Brotherhood, as he's calling them now at that point. So it's Toad. Yay. I was, actually, I was actually a little afraid Toad was going to be here. Well, I, I think I'm going to put in Toad earlier, but he's just going to be a, a sniveling sycophant at that point. So Isn't he always? Well, I mean, much more so than before. Mm-hmm. But now you'll see him. He's like, I, I, part, part of me wants to like, just do a cutscene where he's just pickpocketing people and just using his agility, mm-hmm. which I feel is probably the best way to introduce the character, and then Magneto takes him in. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's handling X-Men. Uh, he's handling a couple of the X-Men by himself. Cyclops is handling Blob. And then Gene is masterminds trying to mess with Gene again because you know, he's a creeper. So they defeat them all and take them up to the, take them up to the palace which Magneto has used for his own purposes. So then Magneto tells them that his plan was not to fuck with the magnetic poles of the planet. His plan was to lure them here because he just wants them dealt with. 
mm-hmm. because he he realized that if he left them alive, then they would always be around to stop his plans. So he basically seals the palace off and then magnetically pulls part that part of the island into space and uses his magnetic powers, repels it out of the Earth's orbit. So it just basically sits in... Just so outside. It becomes Asteroid M? Yes. <laughs> Granted, that is something way the, uh, the, from the 90s, of course, but... Uh... No, Asteroid M was in the 60s. Later in the 60s, but... It, I think Asteroid M was this... That was a different Asteroid... There have been more than one Asteroid M. Okay. Oh. I mean, I, I, I'm... Weird, I know. I, but... I, I tend to remember his uh, floating uh, Caribbean island fortress from the 70s. Um, yeah. Before he, had, before he ever had an asteroid. But, yeah, uh, I can't remember uh, what that was called, but... It's not Genosha. No. No, not Genosha. No, Gen- Genosha's definitely. in the Indian Ocean. Yes. Okay, so what happens is... So he rips the, he rips the palace and that part of the island up, puts it in the... And the palace is sealed off, but he's, his plan is, is that the section that he's in is completely airtight, and he's got oxygen to spare. He's basically just waiting for them to asphyxiate. So like, that's the easiest way to get it done. Mm-hmm. So Cyclops is like, well, if I'm dying, you're dying with us. So he starts blasting out holes in the floor, finally finds his nest of oxygen pods, and disables them. So Magneto's is like, all right, fine. And he throws the... He throws the uh, planet well not planetoid he throws the asteroid back at the planet so basically he's like fine i'm in this shield i'm not going to get messed up but you guys have to survive re-entry and somewhere on the sidelines ultron's look at, uh, looking on like yeah that's what I, do. <laughs> I could see that so then they survive re-entry mostly thanks to gene being able to utilize her telekinesis to prevent any major gaps and stuff from, you know, basically releasing the air pressure in the building. Mm-hmm. So Magneto realizes at this point that they've survived re-entry, but now he has to worry about, he has to stop the island from impacting the planet, because even he's aware that if that happens, that, you know, everybody on the planet, including himself, is dead. It's hard to rule a planet if there's no planet, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's able to stop it, he skips it, he basically skips it into the middle of the ocean, and, but again, moving something that size by yourself is draining, so he collapses, Gene collapses from attempting to keep them alive during re-entry, and they call in S.H.I.E.L.D., S.H.I.E.L.D. captures Blob and Magneto and um, Mastermind and Toad. Captures them, takes them into custody, gives them a... Not, what are they called in the... Uh, what are they called in the, the X-Men? I mean, not in the Avengers series. Are they Quinjets still? I believe so, yeah. So they give them a Quinjet to fly home in. Mm-hmm. And let's wait till that goes up. Yeah, we're in. We're in at this point. Goodbye, magic screen. (laughs) Okay, so they they're flying along, and then Beast realizes that you know they're completely in the opposite hemisphere. He's like, wow, I don't like. It's like I don't even like. I don't even recognize where we are. This the only island that's anywhere nearby is this island called Krakoa. Then, bam, ship gets shot down. They crash land on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Scott pulls them out of the wreckage and then passes out from injuries. And then you just see vines start to pull them away, one by one, except for Scott. And that's where we end the last episode of this series. But we part ways with two after credit sequences. The first one is Fury is talking to Xavier, telling him that they found Cyclops, but they haven't found the others. And Xavier's, like, you know, upset because obviously how could he let this happen? He should never have sent him off on his own. 
He's like, well, there's nothing you could have done to prevent it. That how are you supposed to know that series of events was going to happen? He's like, so earlier, I, I don't know if you're here for this bit. So earlier, Nick had said that he had been keeping a list of mutants that had been emerging all over the world. So Xavier asks him for that list to see if he can recruit a new team. And that's our backdoor for season two. Okay. And then our second post-credit sequence is my favorite, what I think will really get people amped for it. We cut to the Canadian Rockies. It's a still scene, and then out of nowhere you see a body crash into a snowy embankment. And you see him stand up, and it's Wolverine, played by Hugh Jackman, because Hugh Jackman said he'll only play Wolverine again unless it, he'll only play him if he's in the MCU. So you just see him start to pick rocks and sticks and other debris out of him, obviously healing up almost immediately because he's Wolverine. And then out in the background, you hear a Hulk scream. And then you see Wolverine look up, pull his mask down, and pop his claws out, and you see Hulk running at him like in the reflection of his claws. You see Hulk running at him like a freight train, and then you just see him lunge forward, and that's how you end it. People would get totally I am pleased that you decided to wait until the last possible moment to mention, oh, by the way, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because, and again, this pulls back to the original thesis we had at the beginning of this, is that I love Wolverine as a character, but the problem is, is that Fox's biggest mistake with any of their X-Men films is that they rely so much on Wolverine mm-hmm. that it completely derails the team dynamic, which is what makes X-Men great. No, you absolutely right. And, and that's and I'm not dissing Wolverine. I love Wolverine's <clears throat> character, and I feel like he is an integral part of the the X Men. But he should not be. I mean, a he shouldn't be carrying a movie by himself. B they need to stop remaking the Dark Phoenix saga. They just have to. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, I was a little afraid you were to mention when the asteroid was was uh, you know it was um, it was um, re-entering the atmosphere. No, I'm like, not. Is, doing is there that. is there a Firebird that just uh, just nope. stops by and say nope, hey? Nope. <laughs> Nope, I, 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 I will make it plain. I will, if I, if I introduce the <coughs> Phoenix, I am doing it properly. Mm-hmm. Because remember, Fox Universe, there are no aliens. In the MCU, there are aliens. Mm-hmm. They are a documented case. So in the introduction of the Phoenix as an alien entity inhabiting a human body and impersonating a human then becomes a very real reality and one that is not out of the sphere of believability. Now, in the MCU, I mean, it's very easy. Would you have that be the Kree or would it be something else? What? The alien entity. Would that be somehow Kree-related? The, the, the Phoenix is... The Phoenix is its own... It's an entity on It's a cosmic entity, yeah. So in question then. The, the so, Shi'ar are aware of Phoenix, Shi'ar, but that's, yeah. that's, the, yeah. that's the closest yeah. thing I can ever think But it gives us the opportunity to, inv- to basically not only open the X-Men up, but also Starjammers... Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to see an offshoot series of the Starjammers, man? Mm-hmm. I do. Space Pirates? I mean, I know Guardians of the Galaxy is hot right now, mm-hmm. but I want so Starjammers, man. I want actual pirates in space. Okay. The Rocket Raccoon's so okay, hot question, right now. Question, though. Okay. So, so then, uh, so then I'm, I believe then that, that you will be bringing in the Imperial Guard. Yeah. Because I always thought that that was like a fight I like love to see with, mm-hmm. with the X when they had when they had all the X Men versus all of them and mm-hmm. I, it ended too fast. It was only one issue. It was like yep. it was. That's the, be- that's the beauty of like a Netflix style series. You can okay. drag okay. it out into multiple episodes because oh. that you can't. I mean, obviously, what you see in like six panels is just like oh, Biff, Pack, Boom, like. I want to see that fight. Mm-hmm. You know? I, can't, I can't believe I never thought of this before, but I was just trying to imagine what a Shi'ar would look like in live action, and clearly that was the first time I ever thought of that. They would look exactly like the Centauri from Babylon 5. 
with the with the the the, 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 the peacock like fanning mm-hmm. black hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like the beauty of it is is that you open up so many avenues for stuff that they can then use later in the films. You know. Like, the phoenix could be a, like, for instance, you can get them to the point where the phoenix is introduced, and then the phoenix becomes, say, a villain in, like, a f- f- future Marvel film, you know? Mm-hmm. Or it could be a guardian, like, the guardians could work with the X-Men, because they do that. So, like, for instance, the guardians are contracted by the, the Shi'ar mm-hmm. to help them combat the phoenix, and they're like, well, these humans on Earth that have had some experience with them, if you want to work with them. So obviously Quill, knowing full well that you know, he, you know, he's from Earth, they're from Earth, hey, why not? I'm just saying, it opens the back door. And I feel like if any Marvel property in Netflix is going to have any sort of chance to then leap over into the realm of film, it's going to be the X-Men. Oh, yeah. Because they already participate in so many different facets of every other Marvel property. Let's not forget, my friend, how many X-Men have also gone on to become Avengers. Yes. Also true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Among other teams. Yeah, exactly. Right? Among other so, teams. Exactly. I mean, you could very well, you know, have, a, you know, you could have that fourth Avengers film and like, hey, look, Beast is a member now. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. how cool would that be? It would be awesome. That's what I'm saying. So, Netflix... Fox Studios, Kevin Feige, are you listening? Make this fucking happen. Thank you. This has been Boldly Going Nowhere. And until next time, outro. Boldly Going Nowhere is a Castwave Studios production. For other shows and more, visit castwavestudios.com. Wow, that sounded great.